Good afternoon, church. It's good to see everyone here. Before we get rolling, I just want to say thank you for entrusting me to the pulpit this morning. Uh, you folks have become very dear to Jackie and I and our girls, and it means a lot that you would entrust us to this task here of preaching the word. I, I don't take this lightly. I take it very seriously. And so I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, do you have your Bibles with you this morning? Good. Yeah, it is this afternoon. It's this morning in Japan, though. So uh, thank you. Uh, so if you would open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. This afternoon, we are going to begin a new section of Ephesians that calls us to consider the importance of maintaining unity, peace, and love in the local church. And that section is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. The church is a place where each one of us should find acceptance and fellowship. It should also be a place where diversity is celebrated and does not lead to division. And so this morning we're going to begin, this afternoon we're going to begin this passage of Scripture by looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. And here we will find a call to remember that at one time you and I did not belong. Let's open with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, we bow before you. We bow before your throne of grace and we just praise you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and living for us and dying for us. We thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for the eternal life that comes through faith in you. We thank you for putting your spirit in each one of us, sealing us for the day of salvation. And Lord God, I just pray that as we consider this issue of unity in the local church, that God, you would speak to our hearts and that you would inform our minds, God, that we might be gracious towards one another, that we might be accepting of each other, that, Lord, this would be a place where there is deep, deep love for one another. Lord God, I thank you for the evidences of that that I've seen at Grace and Truth Bible Church already. And, and I just pray that you would help all of us to just grow in this unity of the priesthood of believers, Lord. So I just pray for your help now as I preach. I just pray for your blessing, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. When was the last time that you thought about your citizenship in the United States of America. Our citizenship speaks to our political membership in the United States. It is a marker that proves we belong to this country. Our citizenship gives us specific rights, privileges, and duties. When was the last time that you gave any thoughts to these things? For instance, have you recently thought about the benefits of voting in federal elections? of being permanent residents, of having each of your children automatically becoming permanent residents at birth, of traveling with a U.S. passport, of having access to government benefits ranging from financial aid grants to college scholarships to Social Security income. Being a U.S. citizen also brings with it living in a country where we experience having natural rights that everyone living here possess, but on an ongoing basis. These are rights to life, liberty, and property. I have to admit to you this morning that I often take these things for granted. I, I don't always think about these things, and yet it's a real blessing to live in this country. And you know, my family and I, we were all born here in the United States of America. We did not become citizens through the process of naturalization. And I just wonder 
if those who did become citizens through naturalization maybe think about their citizenship a little bit more. Thinking about past limited conversations that I've had, I I think that I could make a case for that. That might be deemed a fair assessment. Regardless, I do believe that we will gain more from God's Word this afternoon if we approach it from the viewpoint of those who became citizens of the U.S. through naturalization as opposed to becoming citizens at birth. After all, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, which was mainly composed of first and second generation Christians. It was not all that long ago that they had become kingdom citizens, and so they didn't have a very long history with God and his people. There were also a fewer number of Christians who were Jewish by natural birth. And these real differences between the Gentile and Jewish Christians were causing deep divisions within the local church, and so Paul wants to address all of this in a very straightforward manner. If you have not already, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. We are going to study how Paul addresses the differences between the Jewish and Gentile Christians, and in doing so, recognize Paul's call to remember that at one time you and I did not belong. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the covenant of promise, the, the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, brought near by the blood of Christ. These three verses give us a pretty good idea of the deep divisions that plagued the Ephesian church. The Jewish Christians were being arrogant because of their rich, deep history with God as being God's chosen people. And so they were kind of looking down their noses at the Gentile Christians. And then you have the Gentile Christians who were responding in this rude and inappropriate manner, perhaps with sarcasm. And so Paul steps in to sort out the problem. And as I look at these three verses, I kind of see Paul stepping in as a spiritual father to his spiritual children. It might look something like this. Let's just give a hypothetical scenario here. Let's say that there was this father who had three daughters. And, and he's watching the three girls while mom is away, and he tells the oldest of these three girls to go and tell her younger two sisters to finish cleaning up the room and then to come out to the living room because I have something to talk to all three of them about. And let's suppose that the oldest daughter does go into the room, and then this squabble erupts. You have this argument And so the father counts to 10 so that he doesn't blow his lid. And then he goes back into the bedroom and he looks at the youngest two and he says, why are you responding to your sister this way? And and then, and you speaking to the oldest, why is it that you feel like you graduated to the status of parent in this family when you haven't? I, I just ask you to come in here and tell them to finish up and then meet me back in the living room now go. And then the father turns to the youngest two and he says, you know, how many times have we talked about how we respond to people, how we respond to our peers? 
You know, your, your sister just came in to tell you something that I asked her to say, and, and, and here you are arguing with your sister. You need to respect people, and you need to be, you need to be careful about how you respond to others. Now, let's go out to the living room so that we can have this conversation, okay? So that hypothetical scenario could happen in some home somewhere, right? All of us could see that happening. But the problem with the situation Paul is dealing with is that it is much more serious than the kind of squabbles that we deal with in our own homes. So we get into the passage now. In verse 11, Paul calls us back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 with the word, therefore. That's the very first word in our passage, therefore. It takes us back to, again, verses 1 through 10, and the main thing that Paul wants us to remember from that is that we are all saved by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. That would be in verses 5 and 8 where he stated that so clearly. Then he goes on to state that we are not saved by our good works. Instead, we are saved for good works in verses 9 and 10. So that's what we've been preaching on the last few weeks before Sanctity of Life Sunday, last Sunday. And and that's what Paul wants us to remember as we come into this passage, that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. We're saved for good works, not by good works. So this is a call to humility. So he says, therefore, remember. There's something here that Paul wants us to remember. In fact, he uses the word twice, uh, once in verse 11, once in verse 12. And if you look in the Greek, that word remember is in the form of a command. It's not in the form of a suggestion. But when you get around to it, think about this. He really wants us, because he's commanding us, to remember something. That commandment is also in the present tense, continuous action form of that word, meaning he doesn't want us just to think about it one time. He wants us to continue thinking about it. So our call, our duty this morning is to remember something. And what is that? I want to put it in just a, in a nutshell of a phrase here. I just want to phrase it for us because what Paul is calling us to remember is that at one time, you and I did not belong to God or his people. We were not kingdom citizens. So let's look at where he does this. In verse 11, he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, and then he skips down to verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is Paul's way of saying that at one time we did not belong to God and his people. And Paul lays this situation out in factual terms. He addresses the Gentile Christians as Gentiles in the flesh because that's what they were. He's not insulting them. He's just saying, you were not born as Jews. You're not a part of ethnic Israel. You were born as Gentiles in the flesh. And in doing so, he is also addressing you and I who have been born outside of the Jewish nation. I believe that most of us here were probably born as Gentiles and not Jews. Now, there may be an exception or two to the rule. If so, if you were born as a Jew and and born into Judaism, I would love to hear your testimony sometime. But really, I think most of us are probably Gentiles. With that... Paul's command to us to remember 
is a call for you and I to especially focus on what he's saying. Church, Paul is commanding us to remember and to keep on remembering that at one time, you and I did not belong to God. We had no part of God in any significant, saving, relational way. And because of that, we didn't belong to His people. And this is a a deep call to humility as we interact with one another, whether it's at home, whether it's in the church, whether it's out while we're camping together, wherever we might be, we, we are called to remember that we're saved by God's grace through faith, and at one time, we did not belong. And I hope that by the end of this passage of Scripture, all of us will have a deeper sense of our humble roots, our humble origins. And in the middle of this command, Paul recognizes that the Jewish Christians were resorting to old ways of thinking about the Gentiles. There had been deep animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles long before Jesus came to this earth, long before the church was brought into existence. And and these Jewish Christians were dragging their racist, bigoted past into the church. And it's obvious from Paul's response that he wants to correct the Jewish Christians so that they will repent of their spiritual pride, and at the same time to call the Gentile Christians to be humble in their own responses back to their fellow Christians who are Jewish. And so let's just look at this situation. Let's just step outside the passage here and just look at what's really going on here. Remember the hypothetical situation that I gave between a father and his three daughters. Because Paul brings these two groups together, the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, and he says, why are you making distinctions between each other that is leading to divisions? After all, you Gentiles were born as Gentiles in the flesh, and, and yeah, it's true, you Jews, you were born as ethnic Israel, you, were a, you have this rich history as being a part of God's chosen people long before the church came on the scene, so you've had God's word, you've had the presence of the Lord, you, you've had these advantages, but All that came to you by God's grace. And by the way, why are you making such a big deal out of circumcision? Again, you know, we we know that in all likelihood, within you who are Jewish Christian families, all of your males, from adult to to newborns, eight days old, have been circumcised. And, And you know, of course, that those Gentile males from adult to childhood are probably not circumcised. And why is that? Because remember, God made a covenant with Abraham, and a sign of that covenant was circumcision. And it was a sign that you had this relationship with God, and you were part of his covenant people. But why are you making a big deal of that now? Because now we've all been brought together as one in Christ. And Paul really wants to stress this. He says, it's just like what I said and wrote to the Colossians. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision that was made without hands, by the circumcision of Christ. So here you're talking about the cutting away of flesh as a sign of an old covenant that has passed away, when what's really important is the circumcision of Christ, where the Holy Spirit comes and cuts away the flesh of your heart, so that you have a new heart. You see, Paul is calling these 
Jewish Christians to think about the new birth, that they were born again into a new and living hope. What does circumcision matter between these Jewish and Gentile Christians? When we've all been born again. When did that happen? It happened when some faithful Christian preached the gospel to you and I. And as we were hearing the gospel of the glorious death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came in behind the sharing of the gospel, and He opened our eyes because He was cutting away the flesh. He was unstopping our ears. He was freeing our minds. We were experiencing the new birth because we came to see Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. And we responded We believed in our hearts, and so we called on the name of the Lord to be saved. And we were born again to a new and living hope. So he goes back and he says, why are you thinking in fleshly terms? Why are you thinking in old covenantal terms when we have this new covenant in Christ? And then he dismisses the Jewish Christians, and he comes back and he's saying, why are all of you being so rude in your responses back to your Jewish Christians. Why are you fighting fire with fire? Why not put that fire out with love? After all, they are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and if it wasn't for their ethnicity, if it wasn't for the Jews, we wouldn't have salvation. Don't you remember that even Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior and God, was a Jew when he walked upon this earth? He's Jewish, and he said, you worship what you do not know, speaking to the Gentile Samaritan woman. But we worship what we know, speaking of the Jews and himself. For salvation is from the Jews. So Paul calls all of us to humility in our responses when people in the church who are different from us start saying things and doing things that rub against our skin like abrasive sandpaper. And we're going to look at at that response in just a few minutes because we need to go a little bit deeper there. Now that we know what was causing so much division between the Jewish and Gentile Christians, let's look at what Paul has to say to the Gentile Christians and, and let us remember that these are also words to us who are truly Gentile Christians, most all of us. <laughs> Paul calls us, or rather commands us, to remember that at one time we did not belong by reminding us of the disadvantages that the Gentile Christians had because they were not born as Jews. Again, these are our disadvantages as well. And if you're taking notes, there are five disadvantages. They're right there in verse 12. The first disadvantage is that they were separated from Christ. They had no messianic hopes or expectations. If I might put it in a little bit more simple form, Jesus was not on their radar. Because they didn't have any kind of covenant relationship with God, and because they didn't have God's Word in front of them, and because they were not a part of God's people, they were not expecting some Messiah figure, some Christ figure, to come and save them from their sins. They were not looking for a deliverer. Jesus wasn't even on their radar. In church, I just want to say something real quick here. Because most of the people that we live around and work around and go to school don't have Jesus on their radar either. 
And, and I reached a point, I don't know when it happened, but I reached a point at some point in my own Christian pilgrimage where, where I, I forgot that for a while. And I just thought, well, look, why don't people just come to church when they're going through difficult situations? It's because Jesus is not on their radar. Why wouldn't you just pull into a church and ask for a pastor and just that way you wouldn't have to come into the church service. You could just talk to someone who might know something about Jesus. It's because Jesus isn't even on their radar. And depending on whether or not you grew up in a Christian home, Jesus may not have been on your radar either. It's up to us, the church, to put him on people's radar, isn't it? So the first disadvantage was that they were separated from Christ. The second disadvantage is that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So neither they nor their ancestors were a part of God's people. The Jews had a deep, rich history with God. And if you go back to God's dealings with Abraham, when he first calls Abraham, it's back when his name was Abram, before he was even named Abraham, the father of faith. God says in Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. And then we know, of course, he went on to have Isaac as a son and Jacob, who was later named Israel. And, and so there's this history here. But this forming of a Jewish nation started with Abraham. So that by the time we get to Moses preparing to deliver the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses, we read in Exodus 19.6, God speaking of Israel, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But the Gentiles didn't have any part of being God's nation. And that was a huge disadvantage to them. It was a huge disadvantage, not having God, not having His Word, not being a part of His kingdom, and specifically here, just not being a part of God's chosen people. Then the third disadvantage, they were strangers to the covenants of promise. In simple terms, a covenant is an agreement between two parties. In the Bible, a covenant is an agreement between God and between us human beings. We are separated from God because of our own sin. Because we're born with a sin nature and we... we purposely or, or by our own will, we choose to sin against God. So there's this separation. But God has dealt graciously with us human beings by laying out terms in the form of a contract or a covenant by which we might respond and come into right relationship with him. But the Gentiles were strangers to the covenants of promise. And if you look at the Hebrew, this phrase literally reads, they were strangers to the covenants of the promise. Not of promises, but, but of a single promise. God's dealings with His people have always been to come to this one point in time, to this, this one promise. It's the promise that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Here, Adam and Eve have fallen in sin, and so they have become sinful by nature. They are separated from Christ and God because they've lost their innocence. And so now God goes on to curse Adam and Eve, uh, but he does so by cursing Satan first and then Eve and then Adam. But in the midst of this curse, the Lord God says to the serpent in verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first time that we read the promise that this verse 12 is talking about, that this phrase is talking about. It's the promise that God would bring someone into the world to bring man back to God. And it would be through, through the woman's offspring, through Eve's offspring. And, and this, this particular offspring, this particular person, he shall bruise your head, speaking to Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. And, and this is a promise that's speaking to the coming of Jesus. It's pinpointing Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection that leads to eternal life. And so when we look at this phrase that they were strangers to the covenants of the promise, the Gentiles didn't know of any of this. Again, they were not expecting a Messiah. They weren't looking for a Messiah. But the Jews had been. They were, they were looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise. And, and I don't want to go too deep here because I, I think it would get us sidetracked, but if you think about the rich history that the Jews have in their dealings with God, it is really pretty amazing because as soon as man falls, God provides a covering for Adam and Eve. And there's a kind of covenant that God makes with Adam. There's another kind of covenant that God makes with Noah. But it's when God enters into Abram's life, who later becomes the father of faith, that he begins to specify what this covenant is going to look like. It's going to look like a relationship. It's going to be formed in such a way that God becomes his God and he becomes God's people. And then you have Isaac and Jacob. And again, Jacob, he becomes Israel, who has 12 sons. And eventually Moses comes into the picture and there you have the giving of the law of Moses that came with the Ten Commandments. And then Israel goes on to sin against God and to demand a human king. And so they elect Saul, who was man's choice for king, not, not God's. But eventually David comes into the picture. And God renews this covenant with David. And then you have this long line of kings. And God begins to send prophets to speak to the people of Israel because they were neglecting this covenant that God had been making and forming with His people throughout all human history. And then finally, Jesus comes into the picture to fulfill the promise that's spoken of in Genesis 3.15. There you have Christ coming and beginning a new covenant in His blood, fulfilling all the other covenants and all the other covenantal promises. The Gentiles did not have that. Moving on to the fourth disadvantage that the Gentiles had. They had no hope. They had no hope of knowing God or His expectations that lead to eternal life. And this is not the only place where Paul speaks about Gentiles having no hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5, we see the Gentiles described as being people in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. So in verse 5, Gentiles are described as people who do not know God. And then you come to verse 13, and Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have 
no hope. Those who do not know God and are not in covenant relationship with Him do not know what to do with death. And, you know, I wonder if this is why we as a nation get so caught up in the American dream. We work so hard so that we can retire as early as possible, age 50, age 55, so that we can begin traveling, learning new hobbies, doing things that interest us, living life on our own terms. I often wonder if some of that, if at least some of that is not coming from having no hope of eternal life. And, and some of the most tragic things I've ever experienced are going into hospital rooms and nursing room homes. And I can't tell you the number I've been in where this person or, or this couple, this husband and wife, worked so hard to get to this point where they could live out the American dream in retirement when an accident happens, a car accident, or cancer happens or the other spouse dies and the whole thing just falls apart. So I think about looking into their eyes. There's so much pain. So much disappointment and the tears that they shed when it's just them and me betray that they have no hope in the life to come. Fifth, the fifth disadvantage that they had is that they were without God in the world. So they had no hope of knowing God in this life either. No hope of knowing God in the life to come. No hope of knowing God in the world. And what a tragic thing to not know the very reason you first drew breath because you do not know your Creator. At one time, you and I did not belong to God or His people. We were not kingdom citizens. We had no part of God and He had nothing to do with us in any kind of saving relational way. And this reminder is a call to humility before God and our fellow Christians. And now that we know just how desperate our condition was before becoming Christians and how we simply didn't belong, it is time to come back to Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Will you look at verse 13 with me one more time? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. In Christ Jesus, those who were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near to God and His people by the blood of Christ. These three verses tell us what our standing before God and His people was at one time or at that time and what our standing is now that we are in Christ now that we've placed our faith in Jesus and His finished work on the cross. You know, there's a, a word here, two words that really stood out to me in this verse as I was preparing this sermon. And it's the words far off. 
I got to thinking about that. I got to thinking about just how far off we were from God and just how far off we were from God's people before Jesus came into our lives. The Bible tells us that it was a long ways, that there was an eternal gap. Sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel with people, I like to use the bridge illustration. Maybe you've seen it. So on one side you have a cliff, an edge, and then it drops off, and then on the other side of the paper you bring the cliff back up. And so there's this chasm, and on one side of the chasm you have God, and on the other side of the chasm you have us human beings. And so when I draw this chasm out for people, I'll talk a little bit about God, and I'll talk about how He's eternal, how He's the creator of all things. He created all of us. And so he has creator rights over us. And this God is holy. He's pure. He cannot be around sin. But he's also a God of love. He's a God of love. He's a God of wrath. But in his loving kindness, he has not left us stranded. And, and so then on the other side of the gulf, you have you and I who were born with a sinful nature and have chosen to live without God. And we sin willfully against Him because He's not king of our lives, we're king of our own lives. And so you've got holy God and you've got sinful man over here and you've got this gap, this eternal gap, this distance that we cannot bridge, but that God, because He so loved the world, brought His Son into the world. And through the cross, He bridged the gap. And so the horizontal beam of the cross crosses over that chasm. And there we see a place. We see a way in which we can come across that chasm, that separation, and enter into a right relationship with God. And what a beautiful thing it is because as you look at the Old Covenant, you, you see God in dealing with His people in terms of God being their God and, and them being God's people, but it, it gets deeper in Christ because God, Almighty God, because our, becomes our Heavenly Father and we become His children and we become a part of the family of God which meets and gathers together in the local church. But as I think about this illustration, sometimes I think that it maybe doesn't do justice to the situation. I think it's a fine way to share the gospel, but you know, it's not as if God is standing on the north rim of the Grand Canyon, and we're standing over here on the south rim of the Grand Canyon, and we can kind of see God, but we're just separated from Him. We are far, we were far off from God before Jesus came into our lives. The world's longest bridge, which is located in China, is 26.4 miles long. Perhaps that begins to illustrate a little better how far off we were from God. But remember, we didn't just not belong to God. We did not belong to God's people either. And with all of that said, we would not fully understand what Paul means by us once being far off if we didn't recognize that we were also far off from God's people. Paul was just as concerned that the Gentile believers were at one time separated from the Jews and now that Christ had come separated from the Jewish Christians. 
And I just want to lay it out here for us, church, so that we get this, that we understand what Paul's telling us here. These Jewish Christians were the Gentile Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. This church at Ephesus was a church family. And it could have very easily been called Grace and Truth Bible Church. Do you get that? Do you understand that at one time, you and I didn't belong to one another? The Burke family, even though we were in Christ, the Burke family had nothing to do with Grace and Truth Bible Church. We, just, we didn't know you guys. The same thing holds true for you, but you guys have become dear to our hearts. You've become a great encouragement. And because of Jesus, we've been brought together so that now we do belong. But you know what? If we started looking at each other and drawing lines in the sand because of color of skin, because of a person coming from a religious background or a non-religious background, if we started making distinctions because we were different from one another, we would undo the blessing of belonging to each other. We would go back as though it was we were before Jesus. We would no longer be an advantage to each other, a blessing to each other. And so I think... Paul is really trying to tell us that we need to recognize that the local church is not just a place we come to. It's not just a building we meet in. It's a place where we worship and serve God and one another. We are a church family. and We cannot allow differences to become divisions because that's what the Jewish Christians had done to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were responding back poorly. And that must not be. The church must be a place where we maintain unity and love. It's a place of acceptance. It's a place where differences are celebrated instead of becoming divisions. Paul says, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ's bloody sacrifice brought us near to God, but it also brought us near to His people so that we are kingdom citizens. We are a part of the church. All of us here at Grace and Truth Bible Church, all of us belong to God and we belong to each other. So church, we do not have to fret over our past. We do not have to act as if we still do not belong to God and His people because we do belong. And now all of those things that were disadvantages to all of us are now advantages in Christ. And so let's go back over these disadvantages and see, just in bullet point, I'm just going to lay them out. Because it's not just my advantage, it's your advantage, it's our advantage that we are now in Christ. Let's look at these advantages First of all, we are now all united with Christ. Second, we are now all kingdom citizens. Third, we are now all included in the covenants of promise. Fourth, we now all have hope in God through Christ for eternal life. And fifth, we now all have God in this life as well in the life to come. At one time, you and I did not belong to God and His people. 
but now we do belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before You. Father, we thank You for having mercy on each one of us. Father, we were so far from You. We were so far from Your people. And Lord, I know that some of us grew up in Christian homes, and and so we had some of the same advantages that maybe the Jews had in Paul's day. But, But there are some of us, like myself, Lord, who did not grow up in the church and did not come to faith in Jesus till later in life. And, and so I really feel the disadvantages that were mine, Lord, because I did not grow up in the church. But Father, thank You. Thank You that You bring people who grow up in the church and, and people who do not together. Father, thank You that You bring people who are of different, different ethnic backgrounds and have different uh, cultural backgrounds together and you unify us in Christ. God, we were so far off from you. We were so far off from your son. We were so far off from your people, but you've brought us near. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We give praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen.